Think about your work and the kind of conversations where you talk to other people, other non-experts about your work, and just try and identify some comparisons or analogies that you can use when communicating. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. If you happen to be an engineer who is comfortable speaking not only the language of engineering, but also the language of business, sales, and marketing, you would likely find some interesting doors opening for you. And that is precisely the story of today's guest, Chris Finning, who has spent much of his career in such boundary-spanning roles. Want to hear his four keys to success? Listen in. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and on this program we have a mix of content and conversations about how you as a thought leader can position yourself better by telling the story of your work. Not just sharing your data, but sharing that story, that all-important tool for connecting with other people. And today I am pleased to have as my guest four-time award-winning author and trainer Chris Finning, who is joining us from uh, across the pond from where I sit, and uh, he'll, be, he'll be telling us a little bit more about what he does in just a minute. Hello, Chris. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, David. I'm really pleased to be here, too. And what, I, what I'm sure our audience is anxious to hear is, how did you end up here? (laughs) How did we end up having this conversation? Could you fill in a bit of the journey that brought you to what you're doing now? Ah, yes. Well, the very short answer is through a recommendation through a friend, uh, a mutual acquaintance. Uh, That's how we ended up getting in touch because somebody said, hang on, I know that both of you like the technical to business communication field. You should talk. And that's what led us to uh, to a really fascinating first conversation last week. But in a in a more broader sense, what led me to be working in this field, particularly trying to bridge the business and technical divide when it comes to communication, it's an entire career for the last twenty something years that has spanned technical and business roles in a variety of industries across four continents, 16 countries that I've worked in specifically, and all of the jobs, I've had a foot in a technical role and a foot in a business role. A foot in each world. You know, I I often felt that to be true about my career as well, that uh, when I started in broadcasting, I started out on what is commonly called the creative side. I can't claim how creative the work was that I was doing. I was making commercials for local car dealerships. And yet I also had a foot in that technical side. And when I moved full-time over into the technical side of broadcasting, I still felt like I had a foot in the storytelling side of it. And I think that may be what led me to change careers and and follow the path that I'm on now in training in public speaking. So... Uh, Tell me more about having a foot on each side and how that that led you to this conversation. Yes. So my my training, my uh, university degree is in aerospace engineering, focusing on satellite design, satellite design engineering. So I was was trained as an engineer, Mm -hmm. and that was the field I was... 
It's like, yes. So somewhere between airplanes and spacecraft, depending on what the company I worked for at the time pointed me at. Mm -hmm. So I had an opportunity to do a bit of both. And so I left university as an engineer. That was the label, the badge that I had or the pigeonhole that I was put into, which at the beginning of our careers is quite important to have a sense of identity, or at least it was to me and, and my peer group at the time. So I was an engineer. And then I joined a, a defense engineering company in the UK, and it turned out that I could speak business as well as speaking technical. And that was how it was described to me by one of the business managers. And they said, you, you can talk business and you can do the technical stuff. And what I hadn't realized was my interest in business. I'd had a couple of my own little small side businesses through, through college and, and through university, that that interest had given me insight into both sides. So I was trained technically, but I understood at least the basics of running a business, considering things from a, a broader scope and scale. And from that point, that that company I worked for only put me in joint business technical roles. Mm. So I was, um, I ended up almost being the liaison between the two different sides, marketing and sales on one side and engineering and design on the other. And it, while it wasn't labeled as such in the beginning, I was, I was really sort of a project manager and um, account manager. And I, think, yeah, I keep coming back to liaison between those two sides. I had to do technical work and I had to do business work that more and more my role became helping communicate between those different groups. And, and that set the scene for the next few years. I moved on from defense into telecoms and I was in a, a very customer and research, customer experience based role. But the purpose of that was to understand customer reactions to new technical solutions. So once again, I was in that technical to consumer, to technical to non-technical role. And that pattern just continued as I moved from telecoms into, I worked in the travel industry for a while, web hosting in big insurance companies in the US uh, and, and some others as well. So every move had a, a big component of that liaison. And then it ended up with me being um, lead project manager, program manager, and a, a director of a project office on programs that were technical implementations. Mm -hmm. But I was sort of far enough away from the technical work that I wasn't doing the coding. Never hire me to do coding. I, that's, <laughs> and don't hire okay. me to design anything as an engineer anymore. I've oh, lost, right. that, lost that skill. But I retained the ability to understand and translate. And even though I, as I moved up through the ranks in the company, that stayed with me and always seemed to be beneficial in the work that I was doing. To understand and translate. That does sound, that sounds important and, and beneficial. You know, what it's making me think of is a phrase that I heard someone use early in my career. Uh, you've been in boundary-spanning roles. You know, oh, you're, you're that's a great description. The boundary between what are commonly thought of as two different camps. You know, the, the technical yes. side and the people who market the innovations that the technical people are creating. And someone has to span that boundary. Someone has to, as you say, be the liaison, the interpreter yes. between them. And, That's a great description. Yes, I love that. You know, boundary-spanning roles, I was taught, and I think this has played out in my own career, that people who actively pursue boundary-spanning roles in their career often find a lot of interesting doors opening for them. And it sounds as if you've done that. That's When you describe it like that, it does make sense as to why so many opportunities 
arose. I've had I've had some really unusual or unexpected things happen. So I was working for a telecoms company uh, in the UK, and it had been brought it had been bought by France Telecom, which is a huge, one hundred forty thousand people employees, yes. massive, mm-hmm. massive company. And I was working late one day, and I uh, an executive multiple levels above me, but within my sort of area of the organization, was muttering away at the desk behind me. And I'd finished and I just turned around and I, I overheard him talking about writing a bid. And it was something that the organization hadn't done. It hadn't really bid for anything. But in my previous job, I'd been trained on how to write bids. I wasn't an expert in it by any means, but I had a good grasp of how to run run bids. And I, I'd written a few and had some success. So I just started to ask what was frustrating. And he was talking about the bid. And so Fortunately, I remembered to ask and not tell. It was one of the few times that I remembered mm. to sort of keep my mouth shut <laughs> after okay. asking the question. Yeah. And instead of saying, oh, here's how you do it, I was like, oh, so what's the approach? And it ended up in this discussion where by the end of the night, he'd called my boss, pulled, told my boss that I was no longer doing my job. And for the next week, I was helping them write this bid, sort of 400 <laughs> million euro bid or, um, for, for a piece of work. And it was just through a conversation and some of it was um, fortune of being in that space. Some of it was not minding my own business and still <laughs> being nosy as to what he was doing. Um, but there was also in the conversation, the thing that he, he kept bringing up was I could try and take all the technical specky stuff that was in the bid that was meaningless to the people who were going to evaluate it and explain it in a way that made human sense rather than technical sense. That made human sense. Yeah, you know, I want I want to clarify that just a little bit. It's not okay. it's not that the people who wrote the technical information couldn't communicate. No, they answered exactly what was asked of them. They yes. were asked about technical specifications for uh, telecoms towers and things like that. So they gave really good, accurate answers. Unfortunately, the question should have been: Give us the data, and in the bid, tell us what it means. And it's the telling us what it means piece that was missing. And so that's what I focused on. It's like talking about benefits rather than features. And it's a trap we often fall into where we talk about a list of features rather than talking about the benefits. The benefits. And that's the translation piece. What I find interesting is when I brought up this idea of a boundary spanning uh, activity or role, you immediately went to a story. You know, you're, you, you seem to be just intuitively a storyteller. Would that, would that be accurate? Uh, I, think, I think my friends and family would say I love to talk. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I've learned storytelling as a way to be able to talk more. <laughs> but, yeah, probably I think in terms of stories to help get a message across. Ah, but it took go. me a long time. took me a long time to learn that was important, and I'm still learning that i my one of my communication weaknesses is i tend to be very very practical and to the point and forget to tell the story along the way so uh, it's it's an area that i'm i'm aware of <laughs> but okay. i do use stories the the point at which i started using stories consciously was when somebody pointed out the difference between talking a lot doesn't make you a good communicator Mm. Okay. 
and, and went on to say, was, what makes you a good communicator? Well, that's that then set me on the path. And they didn't say it in a particularly kind way, but it was a very helpful <laughs> way. It was the, okay. you talk a lot. Talking a lot doesn't mean you're a good communicator. It's like, ow, but thank you, but ow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was probably late teens at that point, so I may have said something other than ow, and it wasn't <laughs> as well received as that. But... <laughs> Oh, but it was a learning moment for you anyway, a teachable moment. It, it was. And one of those moments that I only truly understood the value of later in life, that retrospection of, well, why do I do what I do now? It's a series of these small events and small steps that have all cumulatively led to me enjoying helping other people communicate more clearly. To you enjoying helping other people communicate more clearly. Okay, that's a, a good summation of what you do, it sounds like. And, and you help people who are uh, technical in their work and technical in their information to communicate with the people who are non-technical. Um, yes, so that's, my, that's my, my true passion. Um, what, what's been interesting in the last year is my own perception of technical is now changing. And I still, I still absolutely want to bridge that technical business divide. But the more I have finance teams and lawyers come and talk to me, the more I've realized it's not, a, it's not just about technical expertise in the way that we understand technical robots, software, engineering. Satellites. Yeah, and satellites. It's, it's more the depth of your expertise. Right. And so as an, as an example, jargon everyone hates jargon it's it's an easy punching bag in the communication world we should mm -hmm. stop jargon and often the examples used are software developers talking to non-software developers too much jargon right but it's not software developers farmers have jargon sure. fishermen have jargon yeah. seamstresses have jargon jargon is the words that we use to describe our expertise using shorthand. It's right. a fast, effective way with other experts. It improves efficiency when you're communicating with people who share your knowledge. That's it. When we're Exactly. When we're communicating with people who share our knowledge. And that, I'm beginning to believe that's the divide. It's not technical mm. to business, although I'm going to focus in one place and that's, where, <laughs> that's right. where I'm happy to to put most of my time. But it's really expertise to non-expertise. Expertise to non-expertise. That's a good way to put it. I haven't put it haven't heard it put that way before, but that's quite interesting. Yeah. So what are some of the, the techniques that you use to help experts in general to to bridge that gap? Are there particular I don't know, rhetorical devices or something that you rely on? Yes. They, there are, and there's a there's a, a four part method that that I that I, I think really helps in this space. Okay. And if you are an expert in any topic, you could be a market analyst, you could be a farmer, you could be any any role wherever. If you are trying to communicate work related information, this does expand beyond that, but it really helps mm. that work. If you're trying to communicate with someone who is not in your area of expertise, there are four things that will make your communication fundamentally clearer for them. And it's if you can say something in a way that is relevant, relatable, 
and simple, you will almost always make it jargon free. And and okay. what those things are is oh, so, go, so you have a no, question. Okay, there. relevant, relatable, and relatable. simple. Did I get those right? Relevant, and, relatable, simple, jargon-free. And if you free. do those three, then you're likely to achieve the fourth, which is to make it jargon-free. Yes. Okay. Yes. Pro and proceed. So <laughs> we start with relevance. Okay. If anyone is talking to us, if we don't know what, why what they're saying is relevant to us, we just don't care. When, why, why should I listen? Or what should I do with it? Or why are you talking to me? If it's not relevant to me, I can't help but care just that little bit less. If I was delivering a message to someone at work and saying, oh, there are some, there are some budget challenges for, in this department, like, okay, great. That's a piece of information. If I said there are some budget challenges in this department and the deliverable you want next week has been canceled, well, suddenly it's relevant to you. Mm -hmm. And the key for relevance is impact. If you impact. want to make something relevant to someone else, make it really clear how it impacts them. How it affects the other person, right? Yes. And so that's the key for relevance. If it's not relevant to me, I'm, I'm going to wonder why I need to listen to it or I'm, or I'm going to care less. And it seems a little harsh saying it that way, but it's the truth of it. We just care less when it's not that relevant. So how do you show relevance? Focus on the impact to them or something they care about. Which comes back to something that I, that I often say speakers need to do is focus on what their audience needs. You know, yes. The audience needs information that is relevant from an expert who is uh, understandable and relatable and trustworthy. And yes. for, that, for that to happen, the, the speaker must know something of that audience and the audience's needs yes. in order to have that impact. Which can be, that can be a, a sort of a stumbling point for a lot of communications training. It's giving a speech, presentation, and so on. We say, know, know your audience, understand your audience. I don't believe that means you need to know what they think and feel and what their position on things are. Knowing your audience isn't something you can do without a lot of time. You don't have time to research everybody who's there. You might not know everybody who's there, whether they like tennis or they've got a stressor and they're on the that's how this is often described. And I don't think that's the most beneficial way to start. Okay. You have the luxury of time and information. Great. How about it? Go deep into the history of all the people you're talking to. Okay. But more realistically, know what impacts them. Right. And the things that impact them either impact their work, a goal they're trying to achieve, or something they care about in their work or in their life. Impacts their and work that, or something they care about. Right. Yes. That kind of impact makes things relevant. And the reason I start with that of the four pieces, it starts with relevance. It doesn't start with history, backstory, the 17 steps we took to get no. to whatever. It start, literally start in the first few sentences. What's the impact? Why should you care about what I'm going to tell you? Mm -hmm. Right. Put the impact first. Give me a reason yep. to care. And that's what so many people miss when they start to get up and give a presentation. It's yes. all about thank you and so glad to be here and you know thank you to the people who sponsored my work and and the audience is just sitting there going tell me why i should listen <laughs> yes yes what's in it for joel, me joel schwartzberg wrote a fantastic book on this called get to the point mm -hmm. and he has a a wonderfully simple way 
to help you begin any work presentation, whether you're, uh, maybe it wouldn't work for TED, but TEDx stage, but work presentations, trying to convince people when you're standing at the front of the room. And it's called the I Believe That test. And whatever the, your presentation is about, it needs to have a point. Mm -hmm. my, my presentation isn't about um, uh, I know, compliance law. That's not a point, that's a topic. So you wouldn't know what's going to happen. But if I use the I believe that test, I have to put those three words at the beginning of my, of my point. And if it doesn't make a complete sentence, it, you don't actually have a point. So compliance law is what my presentation is about. I believe that compliance law isn't a full sentence. It's not a point. No. Whereas if I, if I say, I believe that we need to update our compliance to keep us in line with the law, that's more of a point. It's not very powerful, but it's still better than just saying compliance law. So Joel's, and I'll end up teaching his stuff, so I'm going to stop on that one, but you should get him on as a guest. Okay. Um, Joel has a really great test for how to show relevance, capture their attention, and show what the whole purpose of the presentation is about. It's a really, really simple, effective test. I will look for that. I will, I will do the research and uh, see if I can get him on the program to talk about it. Thank you for that. Hi, you're welcome. So you have so four parts. You run the first one, relevance, we've impact. Done relevance. And it's worth spending the time on it because if you, if you don't do that, none of the rest matters. Right. So get the relevance right and you're, you're off to a good start. The second thing is relatable. And this is where we get stuck in our expertise. So once I've said, here's the impact to you, I need to make that relatable. And one of the simpler ways to do that is to use analogies or comparisons. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. So I could, uh, a, a very old example, and this is, this is dated, but it does show the premise, is when we, we started getting home computers and joining the internet, there were viruses coming in and we needed a firewall. People in the public didn't know what a firewall was. And if you explain it technically, it makes it less clear. And so to make something relatable, brand new technology, I've got this computer, I don't know really what the internet is, how, do, how can someone explain to me what a firewall is? The way to make it relatable was an, an analogy that says your computer is your castle and a firewall stops people attacking your castle. Hmm. It's not the most perfect comparison, but every single person in the Western world, almost everyone in the Western world, in fact, most people in the world are going to have some conceptual idea of what a castle is and what a castle wall is. Mm -hmm. And that comparison makes it immediately relatable. I know what a castle is. I know what a wall does. It stops bad people coming in and stealing all the gold. Okay, now I get why I need a firewall. And you're now telling me there's people trying to attack me through the internet. So oh, I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that never happens anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's making it relevant. Um, I'm making it relatable. Relatable. And it takes Because you're a bit relating of time. it to something that people already know. Yes. Yeah, what even though analogies are always ultimately somewhat flawed. I mean, every model is imperfect, but models can still be useful, is what yes. sounds like what you're saying. I'm yes, sorry, go ahead. They can. Yeah. No, I'm completely agreeing. Yeah, that's the 
that it's never stretch an analogy. If you go two steps beyond your original analogy, it's falling apart. <laughs> Find something else. <laughs> that's a good point. That, that's my own rule. No more than if I'm if I'm taking that second step away from it, stop. It's stop. it's too much. That's, it sounds like a good rule. Okay, so now, uh, here's some advice for individuals. Yeah, it, think about your work and the kind of conversations where you talk to other people, other non-experts about your work. Yeah, and take. 10, 15 minutes and just try and identify some comparisons or analogies that you can use when communicating. You can pick things from your own, from your, your company, your industry, things from life in general. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked about analogies. When it comes to comparisons, you can do either, I want to talk to you about something. It looks a lot like this. Now, mm -hmm. let me tell you what's different. Mm -hmm. And the second type of comparison is, you know this. The thing I want to talk about is the complete opposite of this thing. Uh, so at right, least okay. they have that comparison mm -hmm. and a starting point that starting makes point. it relatable. And then you can adapt your message to fit with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I often uh, will, will tell people, if you're looking for a way to introduce an analogy, think of the words, it's as if you had... You know, oh, there, there's nice. setting up this hypothetical. It's as if you had... So it's as if you had a castle... And marauders were trying to invade the castle. It's as if you had, um, uh, I don't know, a satellite. <laughs> and, and someone was trying to shoot down your satellite. Um, but those words are, will help carry someone into this, this hypothetical scenario that you're describing. And the as if is where you make that comparison. But I, I also like the one you said where you could say, okay, now imagine this. We're going to do the complete opposite. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of using that technique before. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's good. I love I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I don't have anything to write it down straight away. But when I listen back to this, I'm going okay. to write down your, it's as if. Those, those small things can make such a difference when you're learning to apply these types of methods for the first time. Because not only are you trying to apply it, saying, well, then how do I say it? And do I then stumble over which words to say? Those little, um, they're not quite crutch phrases. They're, they're helpful conversation starters or sentence starters to get into delivering the analogy or the comparison. So they're really powerful. So, so valuable. Thank you for sharing it. Well, you said four things. I don't know if we're going to have time to go through all four of them. But you've given us so far the impact, <laughs> the, the relevance, and then relatable. Yes. Right? Okay. The next two are very quick. All right. So relevant and relatable, we've covered. Simple. There's one trick. If you're in the technical field oh, and you're good. talking to a non-technical person, the one trick is use the magic box. The magic box approach is every, every one of us has a magic box. I'm holding one up to the screen right now. It's okay. a phone. Yes, yeah, a phone. This is a magic box. No, none of us know how it works, but we know what it does. If I was talking to a phone engineer and they were telling me how it worked, I'd be lost. If they say, if they put all of the technical information into a magic box and say, hey, you want to be able to contact people on the other side of the world, I've got a magic box that does that. Press this button, the magic box works, you're talking to Gran or friend or whoever. When you're talking about your expertise to somebody who is not an expert, put all of the detail into a magic box call it a magic box, and only look inside it if they ask for the detail. Mm. Oh, gosh. I, I, 
I, I could have saved so much time and effort and trouble on the training program that I ended up being unexpectedly in charge of uh, 15 or more years ago if so if you had explained that to me then. <laughs> because we made the mistake of uh, uh, taking people to Magic Box and saying, look inside, we're going to show you how this works. <laughs> and all yeah. they wanted to know was, how do I turn the key and start the darn thing? What does it do? What does it do what for does me? It do? Right. That's what does it, it. Do for me? Mm -hmm. So you've, you've said, here's the impact, here's why you need to know it. Now I'm going to explain it to in a way that's, that's relatable. And I'm I'm gonna, just going to say, this thing is a magic box. Let me tell you about what it does, not how it does it. Not what's so inside. So if you it. ever find yourself starting to talk about the how, stop, close the lid on that magic box, and just say, this is what it does. And if you do those three things, you, almost all, you cut out almost all the jargon. Sure. Because you're not talking about the how. You're not you're talking, talking about, about the expertise. The you're talking about what it does. And that's how we overcome what's sometimes called the curse of knowledge. Yes. Yes. Yep. That, that difficulty that people with deep knowledge have of putting themselves in the place of someone who does not yet have that knowledge. Yes. Mm -hmm. In other words, experts. Yeah. That's, and, and we're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Oh, Sometimes I, know. I've been I get people saying, "Hey, hey, that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the method you described." So it does require conscious thought and application and habit building to build in these these methods. But if habit you building. can jot down on a piece of paper, if you're about to talk to a client and mm. you're more of an expert and you're talking to a client who's not, just think: How do I make this relevant, relatable, simple, and jargon-free? Relevant, relatable, simple, and jargon-free. Relevant, relatable, simple, and jargon-free. I may make that the title of the show. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, brilliant. The title of the episode. Yeah. It's, it's the title of a book that I'm writing. Oh, oh it's well, I, want to, I don't want to steal your thunder then. Oh, I'll, no, I'll no, see. put it in. That's great. That's, that's <laughs> I try to keep the episode title short. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does what it says on the tin. That's, that's the, the most practical way I've been able to boil down how do you communicate between groups. So how do you really practically do it? And there's a lot more that behind each of those things, a lot more sure. different methods and, and things that you can, can do. But you've given but us something the right there. Things. Yeah, you've given us something right there that's actionable. Uh, my audience is going to so appreciate that because you've got something right there that people can grasp hold of and use to start making their technical expertise more accessible to other people. I thank you for that. This has been oh, such brilliant. a, thank a you for brilliant the chance conversation. To talk about I'd love to keep talking, but I, I also uh, would love to wrap this up in a concise way and honor the time. And now that you've given us those, those four keys, uh, I, I feel like we're uh, People are going to want to go out and use them, so so let's not delay them further. But before we wrap up, I would like to ask you this: How can my audience follow up with you? What would you like to? Uh, where would you like to direct their attention next? Uh, yes, there are two places they can go to. My social hangout is LinkedIn. Come find me on LinkedIn. Happy to have any kind of chats, connections, and so on. And you can find out more information about what I do and how it might be helpful to you on my website, which is my name. It's chrisfenning.com. ChrisFinning.com. And on that, they can find information about the book, whose cover I see hanging there on the wall behind you. Uh, yes, uh, I love to write. So I, I've got a bunch of books coming out, uh, written a, a few already, one of which is called The First Minute. And if you come to my site, you can get the um, accompanying workbook for free as a download. 
And it's not just a book full of blank pages. It actually teaches some of the methods that I, I teach uh, in my work for how to start conversations, emails, and meetings really clearly and make them more effective. So you can find loads of stuff about them. that um, and practical communication methods, tools, tips, and techniques for work. Okay, so the first minute is available on your website and the workbook to accompany the first minute. Yes, yeah, you can get both of them wherever you like to buy books, but you can get the workbook as a currently as a freebie on my site. Ah, excellent. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, likewise, David. Thank you. It's been been great. And if anyone would like to follow up with me, here's a way you can do that. Write down this URL. It is breakthroughwithdavid.com. All conventional spellings, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H, etc. Breakthroughwithdavid.com. That will give you access to my calendar and we can have a conversation about anything you've heard on this program, about any way you might like some assistance applying some of the principles and tools that you've heard discussed on this program, and whatever is on your mind. I always like to hear from my, my viewers and listeners. And thank you, as always, for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, Subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.